podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. not even a what's good this morning boys and girls there's not even one there just isn't not after what i was put through last night it's the two-footed podcast it is wednesday the 23rd no it's not it's tuesday the 23rd of august that can stay in i don't care it's tuesday the 23rd of august we're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield will forgive me for not going through the whole spiel but they're a VPN provider. A VPN will keep your data safe and get you around geoblocks. Go to libertyshield.com, use the code EPL25 and get yourself either a hardware package or a software package. A home of Hopcroft, giftware and homework company located in Scotland, shipping worldwide. Home of Hopcroft.co.uk, EPL Index and Phil Index shops. They're up on Etsy, EPL10, Red10, 10% off. Do make sure you're listening to the other podcasts from EPL Index. Tadiwa has a new Tad Predictable, which is going to be must-listen stuff. He has Khalid Patel on with him this week. Khalid is an Arsenal fan and a solicitor working in the sphere of football. So it could be some decent insight there. Do check that show out. It will be on this feed. And also... There is the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries. Just search at search EPL Roundtable on your podcast device. Now, there you go. Everybody's happy. Everybody's taken care of. And now I can be angry again. Now, I spent 20 minutes ranting on the Daily Red today. <clears throat> and I feel like I might spend the same time ranting on this one. I'm going to change course a little bit. See, I ranted about Jordan Henderson and James Milner on that podcast because those two are the primary reasons that Liverpool lost last night. The selection of those two players who are so far below the required standard, it's actually embarrassing. Like, you look at Liverpool's rivals... Look at the league table. Look at Liverpool's rivals. Who who would they get a game for? Let's take a look. Currently top of the league, Arsenal. They don't get in the Arsenal team. Arsenal play a three-man midfield. Odegaard and Partey play the right-side role and the holding role. Both of them are vastly superior to Jordan Henderson. Henderson can't play on the left side. So while he might be about the same level as Granit Xhaka, he can't play Xhaka's role. Milner doesn't even make the bench. 
Uh, both of them would be employed in different roles at Man City. Uh, I'm assuming one of them would water the plants while the other one hoovers carpet or something. Uh, would they get in the Leeds team? I don't believe they would. Leeds play a two-man midfield. Mark Rocca and Tyler Adams are superior players in a holding role, in a distribution role, in a midfield two. If you want to make it a three and pull Aronson in, then no. Henderson and Milner don't get a game for Leeds. What about Spurs? Well, you've got Heusberg, Bentoncourt, Basuma to come in. They don't even get close to the Spurs team. Brighton, well, they've got Alexis McAllister and Casado. They play a midfield two. Milner can't play in a midfield two. Henderson's awful in a midfield two. So, no, they wouldn't get a game at Brighton. What about Newcastle? Would you pick Henderson over Joe Willock as a right-sided eight? You might. You'd be foolish to, but you might. You're certainly not picking him as a six over Gamerish, and Milner doesn't get anywhere near the team. Fulham. Well, Paulinho is better than both. You might take Henderson over Harrison Reed. Henderson does struggle in a two, but you might still take him over Harrison Reed. Brentford? I mean, in the midfield three, he's not a better six than Norgard. He just isn't. Would you play him as an eight? Now, they have Damsgaard to come in, and Damsgaard offers an awful lot more as an eight than Henderson does. But you might take him in the Brentford team. At Crystal Palace, he gets in over Jeffrey Schlupp. Milner does not. At Nottingham Forest, again, they play at two, so he struggles in that two. Freuler is the better player, and Mangala is the better defensive player. So you probably wouldn't put him in the Forest team either because they play a midfield too. Southampton, Lavi is a better six. He's 18 years of age. He's at least competent defensively. Uh, but you might play him as one of the eights. Chelsea, not even a small chance he gets in the Chelsea team. Aston Villa, well, Bubakar Kamara is a better six. It would be Henderson or John McGinn. Now, I'm no fan of John McGinn. It's probably a coin toss. Manchester United, he just got dominated by Scott McTominay, Christian Eriksen, and Bruno Fernandes. You'd probably take him over McTominay, let's be fair. But Casemiro's coming into that team. So no, he doesn't get a game at United either. He definitely gets in the Bournemouth team, but Milner does not. Everton, they'd take him. Milner doesn't get in their team, though. Milner doesn't get in their team. But when Decoure's back and Onana's up to speed, I'm not sure either of them get in the Everton team. Neither of them get a look in at Wolves. Neither of them get a look in at West Ham. And neither of them get a look in at Leicester. They've just got better midfielders. You've got maybe five teams in the league that Henderson's capable of starting for. You've got nobody else that Milner would get a start for. And they're Liverpool's starting midfield. 
That's why Liverpool lost last night, because they played two players who simply aren't good enough to play at this level. Manchester United fans, the uh, especially the, the, the tactical versions, are uh, very excited by the win last night. And they should be excited. They should be delighted that their team won a game of football because they're a laughing stock and it's been a very difficult start to the season for them. But I saw someone claim that that was the best United performance from a tactical point of view since Louis van Gaal was in charge. Now, unsurprisingly, this person is also Dutch. So he's bigging up the Dutch managers. I don't know that relying on Liverpool to be crap is a tactical decision that Ten Hag has made. I don't know that Jurgen Klopp choosing to play James Milner and Jordan Henderson is actually a tactical decision that Ten Hag has made. United started the game really well, flew at Liverpool, flew through the non-existent midfield and overloaded on the defence. Anthony Alanga hit the post very early on. Then the game started to settle a little bit. United still looked a better team. Then they scored the first goal because Jordan Henderson volleys the ball up in the air for no reason at all. And they go down the field, they score. After that, Liverpool sort of, I don't want to say took control of the game because at no point did they have any control of the game. But they were the more progressive team, I think you could say, for the last 15 minutes of the first half. Firmino just went back and played in midfield because he got sick of the midfield doing nothing. And Liverpool started to get a bit more of the ball. They started to look a bit more like themselves. Then the second half started, and again, Jordan Henderson's complete lack of technical ability cost Liverpool the second goal. From there, Liverpool again were the better team. United just sat back and tried to hit them on counter-attacks. Liverpool managed to score through Salah, and there was 10 minutes plus, oh, over 10 minutes left when the goal went in from Salah, and United were all over the place. Like This was not a particularly good United performance. They were they weren't good. They weren't great. They weren't excellent. You look at the BBC website this morning. Outstanding Manchester United claim first victory. Ten Hag's Man United era ignited on memorable night. I mean, this is just nonsense. They were they were decent. Liverpool were awful. I don't even want to talk about the game anymore. Congrats to United. Big win. Big, big win for you. And uh, let's see how you do now against Southampton, against Leicester, against Arsenal, against Palace in your next four. Because I have a feeling it'll be more like the first two than the last one. And the same weirdo claiming that that was the best United performance since Van Hal was very excited about Lissandra Martinez's performance. Now, he played very well last night against a team whose striker had to go and play in midfield. He got annihilated against Brentford and Brighton, made to look like football was new to him. But apparently that's all Maguire's fault. Now, Maguire was crap himself, but let's not pretend that last night 
is reflective of what that lad has been like in the Premier League this season. Let's see how he does when bigger tests come along, when he's actually going to have to play against the striker, like a Vardy, like a Jesus, and then like a Mateta, like a Bamford, like a Haaland, like a Calvert-Lewin, like a Callum Wilson, like a Harry Kane. Let's see how he does against them. Not against Bobby Firmino stood in midfield. Right, winners and losers from the weekend. This will be fun. First loser, Liverpool. Nothing more needs to be said. Second loser, I'm going to say Leicester City. One up at home against, I mean, a decent team, but not a team that should be beating Leicester. Leicester are a better team than Southampton. Leicester managed to lose from a one-goal advantage. Leicester now sit 19th in the table. They've lost their last two games. They've conceded eight goals in three games, which is really, really poor. They have thrown away five points from winning positions. They look a shambles all over the pitch and their manager doesn't look like he knows how to fix it. Leicester are a loser this weekend. And Chelsea. I mean, there's just no way around it. That was an absolute stinker of a performance. Liverpool's was horrendous yesterday as well, of course. But Chelsea's was worse against Leeds. And um, for a team that has spent so much money already in this window and are attempting to spend so much more, you really do have to ask what the plan is on the pitch. Like, they would clearly be better off moving to a back four. Clearly be better off moving to a back four. Play James and Cucurella as fullbacks, Koulibaly plus one as centre-backs. If it was me, I'd be heading into next weekend with Chalaba and Koulibaly as my centre-back pairing until I can get someone else in. That would be the pairing. Silva's a liability in a two. Then you can sort your midfield out, then you can sort your attack out, but there's just... There's a lot of questions about Chelsea right now. I still think they're going to be fine. They've got a really good manager, really good players. I think they'll get top four. But that performance was absolutely appalling. And how quickly heads dropped as well was a little bit concerning. So there you get three losers. Liverpool, Leicester, Chelsea. The winners from the weekend. Arsenal. Three wins from three. Yes, they've had a very, very favourable start. But three wins from three. They're the only team to win all three games thus far. Now, it is utterly meaningless to be top after three games. But they can only beat who's in front of them. They're playing some nice football. So credit to them. Arsenal, one of this week's winners. Newcastle, the next of this week's winners. What a performance. For 40 minutes, they destroyed Manchester City. 
absolutely destroyed them with pace and power, directness, purpose, aggression. They set a blueprint for how to play against the champions. And my third winner is I'm going to pick Crystal Palace because I really did think that performance was one of the best I've seen from a Palace team in a long, long time. They were tremendous at the weekend. The movement, the interplay, again, the aggression, the pace, the power, the purpose to their attacks, everything with purpose. No sterile sidewards nonsense. Everything with purpose. Into every challenge to take the ball back. Playing as a unit. Fighting as a team. Decoure dominant in midfield. Eze pulling all the strings. Zaha a constant menace. Edouard and then Mateta leading the line with purpose. Gwehi and Anderson controlling the game from the centre of defence. Gwehi with his talking, with his organisation, pushing the line. Anderson with his passing ability and his reading of the game. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Then you get, I've criticised them. I don't think they're quite good enough to be starting for a team like Palace. But Schlupp and AU, their energy levels were exceptional. Absolutely exceptional. They put in great shifts. Crystal Palace were tremendous. Vieira is doing an excellent job. I'm re- they're one of the teams I'm most excited about in the league right now. I just think they're a lot of fun. They've got loads of talented players. It's a young squad. They're looking to bring in a couple more. Rumours that Bubakari Samari from Leicester could be on his way. He would be the he would be ideal in that midfield. You put him in instead of Schlupp. You go him, Dekure, and Eze. That's going to be really, really strong. Really, really strong. If they can get Wan-Bissaka on loan, which is what's been talked about apparently, that upgrades the right-back spot. Because despite his problems at United, he's still better than Joel Ward. Right. Let's move on. What else do we want to talk about today? Well, I've been thinking about the three managers that are most likely to get the sack. Gerard, Lampard, and Rogers. The three things that really connect them are ego. Now, Rogers has worked with both of them. Rogers was a coach at Chelsea and obviously managed Gerard at Liverpool. But ego is what connects these three. You can connect Gerard and Lampard with their playing career. You can connect Gerard to Rogers because he worked under him. But Rogers didn't have the type of playing career. Anything close to it. Rogers had to retire early because of a knee injury, but he wasn't going to reach the type of levels of of Gerard and Lampard anyway. Gerard and Lampard's ego comes from their playing days. It comes from being great footballers. 
comes from a belief in your own ability. When you hear Gerard talk, he's very assured, and he should be. Because he's been a great player. But when he talks about the management side of things, it's all very strange. Like You never really hear anything from Gerard about what he was trying to accomplish with a certain tactical tweak. You never hear Gerard talk about why he set his team up in a certain way. You hear him say, oh, that's on me. Well, what's on you? What's on you? What mistakes have you made that you are going to rectify? Where have you gone wrong with your tactical plan here, Steve? Now, Michael Beale was his assistant at Rangers and for last season at Aston Villa. And when they were leaving Rangers, there were a lot of Rangers fans who wanted Beale to be appointed manager because their belief was he was the tactical brain behind what took place there. And Beale is now QPR manager. Neil Critchley, who was doing a good job at Blackburn, or Blackpool rather, he's come in as the new assistant manager. And the team, considering how long Jared has been there, looks completely disjointed, doesn't really seem to have any sort of awareness of what it is they're expected to do. There are no established patterns of play. There's no defensive structure. There's no transitional go-tos. So when they try and break from the back, it seems to be a lot more direct than what you would expect from a team that's been very expensively assembled and does have a number of good players. Like, when Liverpool were great and they would counter-attack, the ball would often find its way to Ginny Wijnaldum, whose only purpose would be to collect that pass, turn, and give it to Sadio Mane. And Mane, in turn, would look for Andy Robertson on the overlap. Liverpool would build in possession down the right, but they would break, they would counter-attack down the left. Villa don't seem to have any set way of doing anything. Give it to John McGinn and hope for the best is often the, pro the, the process. Or if Coutinho's on the pitch, hope for a moment of brilliance. But it is just weird to me, and we went through yesterday Gerard's record at Villa and how it's worse than Gary Neville's record at Valencia, for which he's relentlessly mocked. Gerard just doesn't seem to really have any sort of tactical concept of how he wants this team to play. Is that because Michael Beale is gone? Possibly. Is it because the step up from the SPL to the Premier League was too big? I, I think so. I do think so. If you're being honest and looking at Scottish football and looking at the Scottish Premier League, uh, it's the Scottish Premiership now, isn't it? If you're looking at that, 
If you take out Rangers and Celtic and looked at the rest of the teams in that division and tried to place them into English football, can you honestly say that a single one of them would be good enough for the championship? I don't think you can. I think they're League One clubs, maybe one or two League Two clubs. And when you're managing Rangers and Celtic against clubs of that calibre, when you have the type of financial advantage that Rangers had while Gerard was there, you're punching down quite a lot. You're a championship club with a championship budget going up against League One clubs and League Two clubs, most of whom have a League Two or even Conference League budget. Like you have built in advantages when you're Rangers or Celtic manager that you're not getting in the Premier League. Even at a club like Villa, who have wealthy owners, very ambitious, big fan base, big stadium, all the rest, you don't have the type of advantages that you would have enjoyed at Rangers. Because even the worst teams aren't two divisions worse than you. Like Even the worst teams in the Premier League are high-end of the championship teams. Because that's where they've come from. So the gulf between you and them in the football pyramid is, you know, if you're the top team in the Premier League and you're looking at the worst club in the Premier League, you know, you might say, well, they're a championship team, but they'd be top of the championship or second. If you're top in Scotland and you're looking at the worst team in the SPL, they're probably a League Two team in the Premier in the in English football. You're a high end or mid 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 to high end championship team, sixth or seventh, and they're rooted down in League Two. That's an enormous gulf, enormous gulf. And then you factor in the monetary advantage. And Gerard's ego doesn't seem to allow him to be quite open about the fact that it's been a big step up for him. And then maybe in private he is. But he just seems to be head down and bullying on. You see, I said at the time it was a bad appointment. I think it was a bad move for him as well. I think his ego drove him to the Premier League when his brain probably would have brought him to the Championship. But it was his ego that sent him to Rangers rather than taking a lower league job in English football, because I don't think Stephen Gerrard wants to work for a club that he deems below the prestige level of Stephen Gerrard. Lampard has never shown himself to be a good coach. He failed at Derby, he failed at Chelsea. He took Everton from 16th to 16th via the relegation spots. Lampard's ego is a lot more brash than Gerrard's. He's a lot more open about letting you know that he's Frank Lampard and that he's great. 
Gerard's ego, like I say, is born from his time as a player. I think Lampard is just quite an egotistical person. But it's his ego and his stubbornness that has meant that he hasn't improved as a coach over the years. What he's done is he's tried to load up on great assistant coaches. But he's also brought some friends along for the journey. It just doesn't seem like a clever thing to do. And again, with Lampard, you watch his team play. There's no real tactical instruction being given. There's no real plan for Everton, other than get it forward quickly and hope one of the wingers can score a goal. There's no real setup with Everton. Like, I watched Everton at the weekend against Forrest. And I watched Steve Cooper manage rings around Frank Lampard. When Gerard and Lampard went head-to-head, Gerard outcoached him. Now, it wasn't pretty, but he outcoached him. You won't criticise him too much for Tuchel outcoaching him on the first day because Tuchel's just a much better manager. But I said before, I think Lampard's the worst manager in the league. And I think you can look up and down the league and I'm not sure how there would be any possible way to argue with it. Moyes is clearly better. Rodgers is better. Lage is better. Klopp is miles better. Scott Parker is not great, but he has won promotion from the Championship to the Premier League twice, which is something Scott uh, Frank Lampard failed to do despite burning through money at Derby. Ten Hag is better. Gerard's not great, but again, I do think he's better. Tuchel is clearly better. Hasenhutl's better. Steve Cooper is significantly better. Vieira is better. Thomas Frank's a lot better. Marco Silva is better. Eddie Howe is better. Graham Potter is a lot better. Conte is a million miles better. Jesse Marsh is better. Pep Guardiola, again, a million miles better. And Mikel Arteta is better. And I'm not a Mikel Arteta fan. I think he's just a a bad clone of Pep. But there's not one single manager in this league that Frank Lampard is better than. He is the worst manager in the league. He carries himself like someone who's won multiple Premier League titles as a manager. He seems to think that because he played under great managers, that all of that just is going to translate through his own brilliance. There was a moment in the Villa game where Everton had a half chance that came to nothing. It developed out of a defensive error by Villa. Everton weren't able to take anything from it. Lampard throws his arms up in the air and walks off, giving out to one of the backroom staff as if, well, I can't do any more here. I've put them out on the pitch. I don't know what it is that Frank Lampard is bringing to a club as a manager, other than the name Frank Lampard. I feel similar about Gerrard. I don't really know what he's bringing other than the fact that he's Steven Gerrard. Like, the only reason these two have gotten the jobs they've gotten is because of their names. 
Gerard got the Rangers job because he's Stephen Gerrard. He got the Aston Villa job because he's Stephen Gerrard. He didn't get it because he because he was the best candidate available. Lampard got the Derby job because Harry Redknapp called Mel Morris and said, give Frank the job, and Mel Morris an idiot and said, okay. He got the Chelsea job because he's a Chelsea legend. He got the Everton job because he's Frank Lampard. Not for any other reason. These two are not being appointed based on a managerial track record. Steve Cooper is a significantly better coach than either of them. Marco Silva, a significantly better coach than either of them. But neither of them will get an opportunity that they don't deserve. Neither of them. No one else in the division is going to get the opportunities that they got. Not even Vieira. Like, think of Vieira's journey. He was coaching at City. He was part of the City football group. And there was an expectation that he would continue to do that. He spent two years in charge of their elite development squad. That's far more than Gerrard, who I think managed Liverpool's under-18s, and Lampard, who had done nothing really when he got the derby job. More than they'd done. Then he took the New York City FC job because that was within the City Football Group. And he did that for near two years. And then he went to Nice. Now, he might have got the Nice job in part because he's Patrick Vieira, French legend. But he got the Crystal Palace job because he was the one who interviewed and was willing to take it when others had gone by the wayside. He wasn't handed anything. Lampard and Gerrard have been handed these opportunities and continue to fail in them. And Gerrard is failing at Aston Villa and Lampard is failing at Everton. And as for Rodgers, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody in the sport who has a bigger ego in comparison to what they've accomplished. Like, yeah, you won a couple of league titles with Celtic. Everybody wins league titles with Celtic. Everybody. You were there as Celtic manager for part of a long run of continued success. You didn't begin the continued success. It didn't end when you left. He took over in the summer of 16, following the exit of Ronnie Delia. Now, Ronnie had won back-to-back league titles. So, he'd already done the right thing at Celtic. Rodgers takes over, and let's be fair, his Celtic team, other than been embarrassing in Europe, they were tremendous in, in terms of the um, domestic football. Won the League Cup, won the Premiership, won the Scottish Cup. Following season, did the same. Then he started coming out with nonsense about how he turned down an approach from a Chinese club, but he'd found happiness. At Celtic. 
And six months later, he was heading on down the road for Leicester. You know what happened after he left? Celtic kept winning. They kept winning. They won the league and the Scottish Cup after he was gone. And the following season, they won the league again under Neil Lennon. And let me remind you that Neil Lennon has been in charge of Celtic in two different runs. And he has won five league titles, three in the first go-round, two in the second. He has won four Scottish Cups and the Scottish League Cup. The season after Rodgers left, they also won the treble. So while they did win it while he was there in back-to-back years, they also won it the year he left and then the following year as well. So it wasn't down to the brilliance of Brendan Rodgers that they were winning these things. It was down to the tragedy of Rangers Football Club finding themselves relegated to the bottom tier of Scottish football, Scottish professional football and having to work their way back up and being a transitional train wreck. And then him going up against Stephen Gerrard for a little while, who clearly wasn't ready for that job. Rodgers has this enormous ego. And there doesn't really seem to be much of a basis for it. Like, yes, he, he did well at Swansea. He got them promoted. He failed disastrously at Liverpool. Failed. I don't hear that he nearly won the league. Luis Suarez nearly won the league. Rodgers was the reason they didn't win the league, or one of them. He did well at Celtic. But again, everybody does well at Celtic. Neil Lennon did well at Celtic. Twice. Until the wheels fell off in the last season. Ronnie, Ronnie Dela, Delia, I, Ronnie did all right at Celtic. Like he just did. The football they're playing now under Pasta Coglu is much better than the football they played under Rodgers. They're a much more exciting team to watch. And they're dominant again. Dominant. This is the most enjoyable Celtic team that I can ever remember. Wim Janssen's team was great, but this this is even better. This is sensational stuff that they're playing. And yet, he won an FA Cup with Leicester. You know what else he did? He bottled two top four finishes. He bottled them. They were easy top four finishes from where they were, and he bottled them. Both times. So... He carries himself like he's Guardiola. But in truth, he's not even Martin O'Neill. Three egotists, two of whom have been handed opportunities, one of whom, in Rogers, believes the world owes him a big favour. They're your three top candidates to be first manager gone. Which club would benefit most from moving on? I think Leicester, because 
Rodgers has been there a lot longer than Gerard has been at Villa or Lampard has been at Everton. And maybe you can make an argument to give them a bit more time and a bit more patience and maybe you let them get to the World Cup, see where you stand. Maybe you invest January in, in them and, and see what they can do over the second half of the season and readdress things next summer if you feel like you're not in danger of getting relegated. Now, I don't think Villa are in much danger of going down, but Everton, possibly, very possibly. Leicester, I don't think are in any risk of relegation. I just think the squad is too good. But Rodgers has been there quite a while now, and I do feel like the players are probably tuning him out. His shtick gets old real quick. The Celtic players had had enough of him by the time he left. Barring a couple of mindless brainless mouth breeders most of the Liverpool squad were finished with him as well they just had enough because it's the same crap over and over again all the good is about him all the bad is their fault and I feel like that's the same thing at Leicester we'll take a quick break when we come back we've got a bit of news we've got the gossip and we're going to laugh at Garth Crooks see you then Right, welcome back. We have good news. Good news coming out of Bournemouth. David Brooks has signed a contract extension, keeping him at the club until 2026. Brooks, who is now 25, is slowly making his return to football after being diagnosed with stage 2 Hodgkin lymphoma in October of 2021. He hasn't played since then, but in... May of this year, he was diagnosed as being cancer-free, which is obviously incredibly good news. And now he is signing a new contract with Bournemouth. Absolutely delighted for him. I can't wait to see him back on the pitch. He's a wonderful player to watch. He's so talented, so exciting when he has the ball. Great passer, good dribbler, can score goals. Delighted to see him back playing football again. Looking forward to seeing him on a pitch. Um, what else do we have? There's actually not a whole lot this on, on this day. Uh, United fans had their protest yesterday and uh, then got distracted by the shiny new thing coming in the door. So, you know, it went well. Lots of Norwich flags on display. There's a great for Norwich Good to see Norwich fans making the trip to uh, to join them. Uh, Thomas Tuchel has been charged by the FA for his comments about Anthony Taylor after his side's 2-2 draw with Spurs. Um, I'm not really sure he said anything wrong. I, I'm really not. I, I think what he said was fair, but we are in a society now where you can't question or critique anything. Uh, Ryan Giggs, his case is ongoing and um, it's all a bit boring, a bit cringe. You've probably seen the poem by now. What I did like, though, was his defence attorney, Chris Daw QC, saying that it was unfair 
to put one of the leading prosecution barristers of the last 40 years, that would be Mr. Peter Wright QC, up against Ryan Giggs, a man of limited education. He basically called Ryan Giggs a thicko, which is just wonderful. Because if you've ever heard Ryan Giggs been interviewed or listened to him talk, he is, he is clearly a bit of a thicko. Uh, here we go. The team of the week from Garth Crooks. Robert Sanchez in goal. Didn't really have anything to do, but, you know. Kieran Trippier in a back three. His team conceded three goals, just as a reminder. Uh, but he scored a goal. Saliba, he scored. He watched the Monday Night Football. Martinez scored, so he's in. So Maximum was unbelievable. Harrison scored. He wouldn't be in otherwise. Bernardo Silva, he scored. Kevin De Bruyne doesn't make it. Doesn't make it. Best player on the pitch by a mile. Well, other than St. Maximum. Doesn't make it. St. Maximum's a wing back in this, by the way. And an Odegaard who scored twice and was fairly anonymous from 15 minutes in because he didn't need to be. Um, and then up front, Adams because he scored. Mitrovic because he scored. And Zaha because he got two. Adams got two as well. He's He's picked this again based on who scored. On who scored goals. Baffling. How does Kevin De Bruyne not make that? How does Eberichiesi not make that team? They were unbelievable, the two of them. Unbelievable. Callum Wilson had a better game at the weekend than Mitrovic did as well. Garth Crooks. This man gets paid. Gets paid for this. It was one hell of a performance by the team captain, he says about Trippier. And the highlight was a superbly taken free kick. I mean, he, he got given a red card. I know it was rescinded, but he got given a red card. And defensively, there were times when Newcastle just looked ragged. Uh, Saliba, he scored a goal. They had no defending to do. Martinez did defend well last night. He did. We'll see how he does against real strikers. Uh, Sam was brilliant. Bernardo, he was, he was fairly quiet in the game, to be fair. He wasn't great. He wasn't at his best. How De Bruyne doesn't get in, I don't know. Eze, I know Odegaard scored two goals, but Eze was significantly better than him, and he was better than Jack Harrison. This is a nonsense. We'll do the gossip, and we'll be done. Chelsea are confident they can seal a deal for Anthony Gordon. Reports of a bid, including add-ons of £60 million. Someone at Chelsea has been smoking copious amounts of weed. Copious amounts. Manchester United are set to complete the signing of Anthony within the next week. Uh, they probably need to bid for him and make an offer that gets accepted before they sign for him. Uh, before they complete the deal, I should say. United are also planning a bid for Alan St. Maximum. I have doubts that that's got any truth to it. Um, Chelsea are in advanced talks to sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Chelsea have also inquired about the availability of Porto's 23-year-old Brazilian winger Pepe, who's valued at 60-odd million. Um, I might want to see a bit more from him before I commit that kind of money. The Blues are prepared to allow an additional eight players 
to leave this window after West Ham agreed a deal to sign Emerson Palmieri. Officials from Manchester United are set to travel to Barcelona in a last-ditch effort to sign Frankie de Jong. United are also interested in Eintracht Frankfurt and Germany goalkeeper Tim uh, Kevin Trapp, brother. He's not very good. He was a few years ago. He hasn't been for probably four years now. Uh, Arsenal are interested in signing Pedro Neto. That was the Ornstein story from yesterday. Leicester are set to make... Sorry, Newcastle are set to make a bid of more than $30 million for Quadio Kone of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Watford will not entertain any bids for Senegal forward Ishmael Sarr and are preparing to offer him a new contract. That seems strange. The Hornets have also rejected Newcastle's offer of $25 million for Jeff Pedro. So there's multiple conflicting stories about Jeff Pedro at the minute. The spoofer with the catchphrase came out last night and said it was a done deal. Uh, real journalists have said today it's not. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Tottenham are interested in signing Dan James. No, they're not. No. Barcelona are looking at Celta Vigo's, Celta Vigo's left back, Xavi Galan. Okay. Seems odd. He's not very good. Um... Brighton and German side Oldsburg are interested in Fiorentina's 24-year-old Ivory Coast striker, Christian Kwame. You can keep him fit, he is good. If you can keep him fit, he is good. Uh, Wolves have agreed terms with Stuttgart's Austrian striker, Sasha, but negotiations between the two clubs are continuing as the, the Bundesliga side want a higher transfer fee. As is their right, he is their player. And that is it for today, folks. That is me. Have a good day. Take care of yourselves. Say hello to your families for me. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.